scary similar body type, scary similar athleticism, scary similar game, but Aaron Donald, kind of a tweener coming out, he's proven to be the ultimate exception to that rule. Mm-hmm. Matt Harmon is the dude for receivers and like he charts every route every receiver runs mm-hmm. in the NFL like every week like he's a freakazoid um, yeah. and Paul I guess Harmon's the kind of guy that's above our like I could reach out to him but that'd be above our weight class he got him on yeah. there and dude dude went through everybody in this class as well as talking about Burks and Phillips mm-hmm. it was very informative I learned some things um, all right I've hit record let's do it you ready Here we go. Welcome into the Hot Read Podcast for Monday, April the 10th. I'm your host, Easton Fries, director of published content here at broadwaysportsmedia.com. We're also brought to you by the 440 Podcast Network, and I am joined on this Monday morning by my buddy, my producer, JT. JT, how are you, man? How was your weekend? It was good. Uh, did a lot of work, just kind of chilled out and enjoyed the uh, half good weather, half bad weather here in Nashville, but you know, it was all good. Yep. Yeah, it definitely was a mixed bag weather wise. Uh, we're recording this of course on Sunday night. So happy Easter to you and to everybody. Uh, hope you had a good Easter with friends and family yesterday. Um, this is my favorite time of the year, JT. Do you know why this time of year rocks? It's not my favorite, but it's one of them. Uh, I have a few guesses. I wonder why guess, guess away. I want to hear what are your guesses. Uh, maybe the masters. No, that's one. Of, that, I mean, I like the Masters, but that's not why. Uh, I, then I don't know the weather. I, I don't know. Nah, man. It's tax season, baby. Woo! Oh, File okay. your taxes, boys and girls. Um, Yeah, I just I realized that when I was getting ready for this episode. Like, oh, cool. Next Tuesday, taxes are due. So here's your friendly neighborhood hot read podcast reminding you that if you've not filed your taxes yet, you should probably do that this week. We are also just 17 days away where I guess uh, as of Monday will be eight days away from tax season or taxes being due. We are 17 days away from the first round of the NFL draft. And that is not a lot of time, JT, especially when you're like you and I who have been sitting on a handful of content creation ideas for like the last three months that we've saved. Well, we want to do that when we get close to the draft. When we get close to the draft, when people care about these things, you know, close to the draft. And guess what? We're here. I think within three weeks, that's really when people start to, I don't know. I've been trying to gauge based on the riffraff on, on social media, JT. Like when does the average fan really start to care about the draft? It feels like this is the week where that starts. Is that kind of the feel that you have? Yeah, I think so. Um, we're two and a half weeks away. People are starting to talk about these guys. It's where the mock drafts start getting, you know, they people start kind of putting their final pieces into place, stop kind of being kind of sexy with it. It's kind of like, this is what mm-hmm. I think is going to happen. And then we'll move on from there. Yeah, we get down to bra- brass tacks. Um, you know, baseball spring training is over. Opening days behind us. So we're kind of in the the lull of the very beginning of the MLB season. A- NBA season, regular season is coming to a close. NHL regular season is coming to a close. So it's kind of in the general sports world, the masters is, is over. So people in the golf world are start looking, starting to look towards the next major in a month or so. This is the lull where I think people start to turn their heads back towards the NFL. We're two and a half weeks away. And with just 17 days left before that first round pick JT, you and I've been hard at work this weekend behind the scenes, 
getting together our schedule content, trying to map out our plans for the next two and a half weeks. All the guests we're going to have on in the next two and a half weeks. We already have like four or five different folks that some of which have never been on the show already confirmed. I've got five or six more that I'm trying to confirm this week that we may or may not get. So like super jazzed pretty soon. We're going to have a different guest on every other show or every show. We also have way more shows planned for the next three weeks than we typically have running. Obviously we, we were twice a week during the regular season last year. We were doing Monday and Friday mornings. We've moved to Monday, Wednesday, Friday mornings for the free agency period the last month or so. We are now JT moving to five or more days a week of content um, for the next three weeks. So not going to release all the details on that yet. Um, we're actually going to have a little bit more than a show every single work week day for the next three weeks. But generally speaking, every weekday, we will have a new show. This week, we've got five new shows coming out. And this is the first of 14 episodes that we have planned and are going like this is not a we might get to no, every we've got them booked up, planned out. They're happening. Um, there's 14 of them. We've got five today or five today. Can you imagine five this week? Um, I, so I ran the numbers and that's not a lot of time and that's a lot of shows. So we're getting down to brass tacks here. Obviously, as you've been following along with us, you know, based on the title of this podcast, this is the, what is this? The third positional episode we've done JT, All right? We covered linebackers. We covered safeties. We are now on to defensive tackles. That's the main topic of today's show. JT and I have brought our defensive tackle big boards to show and tell today we're going to go through our top 10 guys compare contrast debate hopefully you and we can learn a little bit about these very top interior defender uh, prospects in this year's draft from today's episode we also have uh, some other things to get to at the top here so we'll spend the first couple of minutes talking about those things uh, just a little free agency season roundup some news that came down Jeffrey Simmons being the biggest amongst Titans news. We'll get to that in just a minute. I have to address the masters because this is a sports show. It is the off season. JT, you were held at your other job today against your will forced to watch more golf than I'm sure you ever intended to. Um, and I'm a big golf guy. I love to play golf. I love to watch golf. And so if nothing else, but to frustrate you, JT, I'm going to bring it up. How about the masters? Great tournament. Loved it. Um, I will. I had like 19 thoughts on this that I tweeted throughout the day. I know that JT was not a big fan of that. He was making fun of me for. You know, I wasn't a big fan of it because after I got off, um, <laughs> got got home from work, I opened my phone and I swear to God, Twitter gave me eight Eastern <laughs> Master t tweets in a row. They yeah. were in a row, and I I was like, oh, come on, man. This and is, this wasn't this, like me retweeting other accounts. No, or this, like, this is this all was hashtag original thoughts, baby. Just a bunch of them. I couldn't take it. I, I don't know what to tell you. Like, I'm on a golf account now. That's as of as of this weekend. I'm a golf account. I don't really care about the NFL. Wake me when the regular season starts. Um, no, I I thought it was a, a very entertaining tournament, especially Sunday. Very up and down. JT, I know that you weren't paying attention to the tournament super well, but you were here in town. You knew that the weather on Saturday here was miserable, cold and wet. It was even worse in Augusta. And so it for the two middle days of the tournament, Friday and Saturday, the scheduling got all out of whack because of the weather, threatened to ruin what was a great tournament. And I can't 
I cannot tell you how bad I felt for those patrons. Cause if anybody, if you know anything about the masters, you know, it's a lottery ticket system. So unless you are like from around the area or one of the very few, very wealthy people that are a member there, you have to just submit your name one submission per household every year to win a chance to buy masters tickets. And so you do it. Oh, like for example, my dad, who is the guy who instilled the love of golf in me, as long as I've been alive, so at least the past 23 years, he's put in for his fa our family household. He's done it for both of my grandparents and many of our aunts and uncles to try to maximize his odds. Very smart. And yet, in the last 23 years, he's gotten tickets one time. And I got to go with him in 2015 to a practice round, which was amazing. If you get a chance to go ever, you can't cancel the birth of your child, your wedding, whatever it is. Go. Um, if I got tickets after trying for a decade and then got there on this Saturday, not even tickets. Like a lot of times you get like we went to a practice round on a Wednesday to get tickets for the actual tournament days, the weekend days impossible on Saturday and Sunday. It's mostly ticket holders that are year to year guys. If you got Saturday tickets after 10 years of trying and then got there, the most beautiful place on earth must be a, a, a little slice of heaven in, in the back woods of Georgia. And it's freezing rain and the tournament gets cut in half and you have to just go home trees I, falling down on trees falling on people. <laughs> I, I JT, I would commit a war crime. You'd have to, I, you would have to try me before the Hague because I would lose my mind and probably hurt many people and things around me before I jumped off of a roof or into a lake somewhere. Um, but the tournament was fine on Sunday. The weather got really nice. And then John Rahm, the big Spaniard just did it to him, man. He, 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 uh, basically just, spotted the entire field a two-stroke lead after he four-putted on the first green on the first hole of the tournament and then still ended up waxing everybody winning by four strokes very impressive performance he was due um a lot of live narratives going on with some big live guy how about the lefty getting up there solo second or maybe he may have a tie with second with his fellow live member brooks kepka but Phil Mickelson playing like like electric Phil. Uh, love to see that. He's so fun to watch. It's impossible not to root for him. But yeah, that's the Masters. Very cool. I guess the only NFL tie-in, JT, I don't know if you saw this on Twitter, but in his speech, his, his award acceptance speech, I guess, on the on the 18th green in front of all of the patrons and all the former winners and all of the people, all the players in the field, John Rahm was saying, apparently he's really good friends with um, Zach Ertz, tight end for the Cardinals. And he said that right before he was going to tee off on Thursday for the first round of the tournament, he was driving on a golf cart to the practice green 10 minutes before his tee time to go get some last minute putts in. And Zach Ertz in a group chat he's in, apparently it's him and Zach Ertz and JJ Watt. I don't know why they're in a group chat together, but they are a, Sp a Spanish golf pro and then two, a former Cardinal and a current Cardinal. But they're in a group chat. Zach Ertz texts in that group chat and says, like, John, you're going to kill it. And then said something along the lines of that first green is looking like a slice of cake, looking like a walk in the park. Um, and he joked, he told me that 10 minutes before I went to then four putt double the first hole of the tournament and make a mockery of that green. So he said he almost cost him a green jacket. Um, maybe that means Zekertz gets a green jacket now that he was a coach. He helped, obviously. That's enough golf talk today, JT. Let's move on to our free agency roundup. No, no warm up for us today. Um, we're gonna, we've got a lot to get to, so I'm going to save some thoughts for another show. 
let's get into the the couple of tidbits we have to talk about in the roundup before we talk about defensive tackles. And JT, the first thing we have to talk about is Jeffrey Simmons is going to remain a Titan for the foreseeable future. How about that? He definitely is. The Titans and Jeffrey Simmons agreed on a term to a deal earlier this past weekend. It's a four-year extension worth $94 million. That's about $23.5 million per year based on the new money in which Simmons is going to get $66 million guaranteed, which includes a $24 million signing bonus. And he, in all, he's under contract for $104.75 million over five years. Yeah, the tough scene for the Amy Adams drunk is too poor to pay her players crowd. If she's poor, I would like to volunteer to sign up to be poor. Please and thank you. Good for Jeffrey Simmons, first of all. Also good for us who have been saying uh, for as long as I can remember us being on this show this year that Jeffrey Simmons is going to remain a Titan. We talked about it. Throughout the season, we talked about it when Rand Carthen was named the GM of the the Titans. The the basic thing that told me there's no chance he's not a Titan going forward is the logic that we've brought up countless times, JT. The new guy's not coming in and making the same mistake that it seems like the last guy got canned for. We know that John Robinson did a lot of things that caused him to ultimately get the boot, but public perception is oftentimes reality you hear public perception is reality when it's public perception in sports that is even more true than normally is the case and the people think and i think that there's a it, it was not the only reason but it certainly was the straw that broke the camel's back john robinson trading away the the gem of a franchise stud bona fide top 10 receiver in the league player aj brown who the titans john robinson drafted himself in the second round of 2019 draft traded him away that was obviously a, a horrible trade. He got the Titans got fleeced by the the Eagles. The Titans ended up drafting his replacement in Traylon Burks, who's by no means a failure. He's he's got a lot of work to do, but he's shown a lot of promise. He's not reached that potential just yet. But the new guy was not going to come in and be the moron that that looked at that situation. The guy leaving the office, he's coming in and unboxing his stuff to put on the desk and say, "Oh, let me make my first major point of business." doing the exact same thing that that guy did to get fired with the other star player we found in the 2019 draft class. He wasn't going to do that. And he didn't. So congrats to Rand Carthen. Congrats to Jeffrey Simmons. Congrats to Jeff's agent, Paul DeRozel, um, who is a first time agent. And it, it seems like this is a, I would, I I'm not big up on the history of uh, agencies in the NFL, but I'd say this being your first deal is pretty good start. So good for him. Um, I, I, we, I reported, was it last week or the week before it was roughly eight or nine days ago that I had a source in the league saying that the Titans had not reached a deal with Jeffrey Simmons. They, there was no reason to believe that that was imminent. There were some folks trying to say that that report on my part was wrong. Um, the part about it, the part about it not being imminent was not super accurate. It was, I was correct, obviously that they hadn't reached a, a deal eight or nine days ago. I guess it depends on how you defer the, define the relative term imminent. And that was really just me reporting, not replying, but um, repeating the words that were used, communicated to me from my source. So if if you consider that report on my part, that sourcing wrong, I'll tell you this. If that is wrong in your book, I, I can say that don't shoot the messenger because that was what was reported to me. Um, and could it have been a lie from this person? Totally. Yeah, like it, it could have been. Um, 
could it have been that they just didn't know what they were talking about? I can say unequivocally with 100% certainty that is not the case. I'm not going to reveal who my source is, but I can tell you that based on their position and their proximity to the negotiations for this contract, I know without a shadow of a doubt that they know and knew what was going on up to the minute. And so if if what they fed me was wrong, then it, it was just a little fib, I suppose. But I don't think it was all that wrong. I actually think, JT, that when they told me that nine days ago, we don't have a deal and a deal is not imminent. I don't think it was imminent at that time. I, I think that something may have changed in the last eight or nine days. Um, again, maybe I got fibbed to by my source, totally possible. But if they weren't lying and I know that they were, knew what they were talking about, then something must have changed in the last eight days. Does that mean the Titans budged? Does that mean the Simmons camp budged? Does that mean the draft strategy of the Titans or the free agency strategy of the Titans changed and they decided that they could allocate more money to this situation? Does it mean that maybe Jeffrey Simmons and his camp were sniffing around the free market, even though they're not on the free market, just trying to see what teams might be potentially willing to pay him, what his market value might be. And maybe they realized what they were asking for was a little bit more unrealistic than they had previously believed. Whatever the, the case is, I, and this is, this is me, my opinion. This is not sourced, but it's my opinion that something changed in the last eight days. Cause all of the vibes, all of the sourcing, everything that I'd heard from secondhand and firsthand sources about the situation up until we found out this past weekend that he'd been signed was don't be surprised if this contract doesn't get inked until the summer. And I'd been repeating that. And it turns out that's not the case. And listen, I'm, I could not be more happy to be wrong than in this instant, because I, for one, I'm so glad we don't have to talk about Jeffrey Simmons. Will he, or won't he be a Titan for the, you know, until August when we're trying to focus on training camp, that was going to get really old, really fast. And also good for the Titans for learning from their past mistakes and hanging on to stud players. Jeffrey Simmons is worth every penny of that contract. He deserves every penny. And the Titans, JT, you may disagree. Others may disagree. I think they got a great deal here. Genuinely, I do. This this number, the, the details of this contract came in a good bit lower than I thought they would. Um, I, I had put out a tweet that I didn't go find, but I thought it would, my guess for the contract, and I'm not the biggest contract expert in the city by any means, but my guess was it was going to be a five-year, I think I said $132 million, roughly 26 Average uh, APY, $26 million a year on the contract with something like a $90 million signing bonus. He ends up getting four years. Um, or excuse me, I guess he has a, yeah, okay. So if you include the, the, the year that he's currently on, the last year of his rookie contract, the fifth year option the Titans picked up, he's now under contract for the next five years, but his new contract term is for four years, roughly what is it? 23.5 million APY. So well below, I thought that their starting asking price would be at least 25 and cap experts around the league. Folks who I based my opinion on thought that as well. So I think that Jeffrey Simmons, we already had indication from him personally that he wanted to stay in Tennessee. He comes off as the kind of guy that is a player more interested in loyalty and the grind and sticking with your program and winning the right way. And, you know, dedication and, 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 family loyalty to the, your teammates. Like that's kind of his vibe. He's not the chase the bag willing to move around type, or at least he doesn't seem to be. I think that he and his camp gave the Titans a really nice deal. Um, and so Rand Carthen, his first big deal for the Titans is getting Jeffrey Simmons locked down. I think it's a big win for both sides. And I think that, um, 
Oh, I had one more thing I was going to say. Oh, I think that in in two years, maybe sooner than that, but at the minimum two years, you're going to look at this contract in the context of the rest of the NFL, which it is a technically a market sec- setting contract. It is the most money APY for a defensive tackle in the league, not named Aaron Donald, who has uh, APY in the 30s, a shorter contract. It's very warped and different. It's an albatross of a contract, not real. If you get that not real contract out of the way, Simmons is now the top guy by, I think, a half million average per year. And yet, two years from now, you're going to look at this contract and think, how in the world are the Titans only paying $23.5 million a year to Jeffrey Simmons? How? It wouldn't shock me in the slightest if on his second deal, he'd be nearing 30 years old. It wouldn't shock me at all if he got around the same number or more based on the fact that I think he's going to be a long-term stud. His his prime's going to be longer than the average player. And I also think that based on the way that the salary cap's going to continue to shoot to the moon, the way that the position is being valued more and more year on year, I think that he's going to make a lot more money in the future. And the Titans got an awesome deal. Let's move on to a more current signing that just happened today in OBJ. Finally, finally, we can quit talking. Finally about getting down to play with the Ravens. He was signed on a one-year deal in which he will be getting 15 million guaranteed and can make almost 18 million on the year. So OBJ goes to be wide receiver one for maybe Lamar Jackson. You have had to say, <laughs> Who knows? Hey, he'll have a hall of fame guy passing him the ball. No matter what I can tell you that or not <laughs> hall of fame. I ruined the joke. A pro, a uh, pro bowler throwing him the ball, no matter what, whether it's Tyler Huntley or Lamar Jackson, man, I, 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 I was surprised by this. Um, not that he signed, but who he signed with. I, I didn't have the Ravens on my bingo card. Uh, I don't know about you. I didn't really know where he was going to go, but people weren't really talking about the Ravens as being the number one option until well, until he signed a couple of things about this. Peter Schrager tweeted this out shortly after the, the deal came out, knowing a bit about the ins and outs of the Odell talks, according to Peter in the last few weeks with teams. I can't imagine he signed with Baltimore without at least a good feeling that Lamar Jackson would be under center throwing to him. Well, there there's a pretty good indication. And I think logic would tell you. Well, why would OBJ sign with the Ravens if he didn't have a good idea that Lamar Jackson's going to still be there? And then Odell Beckham Jr. tweeted out a couple of hours ago a picture of him and Lamar on FaceTime smiling and cutting up. It seems like that's where things are headed. And yet, you look at the terms of the deal, that's not a typo. $18 million for a guy that is coming off of his second consecutive ACL injury and hasn't played in over a year. It's a bold leap of faith financially from the Ravens Ravens organization. One that I think is an interesting choice. This is the same organization that looks at how old is Lamar? 23, 24 years old, a former unanimous MVP, your star quarterback. And you're like, ah, get out of here with, with these guaranteed contract demands. But then they look at a guy who's an aging wide receiver nearing 30 years old if he is he he's is he 30 yet he might be around 30 years old coming off of his second consecutive acl injury and they're like let's throw 18 million dollar one year contract at this guy it's a choice it's a choice especially if you're not sure if that quarterback's going to be back the fact that it was a almost 14 million dollar signing bonus and only 3 million in incentives with a 1.1 ish million dollar base salary 
that's insane that they gave him that much guaranteed money. What it does tell you is that if another team in the league, while Lamar Jackson is still an unrestricted free or excuse me, a restricted. No, he's not a free agent at all. He is on the non-exclusive franchise tag. My brain is jumbled with uh, offseason jargon right now. He's on the non-exclusive franchise tag. So while he is still eligible to talk to other teams, this makes it more possible if another team wanted to try to poach Lamar away from the Ravens, they could more easily poison pill the contract that they offer with offer to Lamar by front-loading it heavy, heavily laden with incentives and uh, not incentives, but I, I suppose front-loaded money, front-loaded cash, guaranteed money, signing bonus, all of those things that makes it more difficult for a team strapped for guaranteed money that they can hand out, i.e. a team that just gave 15 million schmackaroonies of that of that type to Odell Beckham Jr. Th that's tough to match. And so you could totally see a team, if they were interested in getting Lamar, we're going to give them a big, de big deal contract that the Ravens might be willing to accept and take on as their own on paper, but then you break down the terms of the deal that we offered and, Oh, would you look at that? They can't afford the first two years of the deal. So they have to say no, that that could make a potential trade for Lamar really interesting. I, I guess what it comes down to here is what are the motives of OBJ making this move? And JT, I I'm curious if you have an opinion on this yet. I don't know. I think we're going to, I think every talk show in the nation is going to dissect it until it, it is um, fully, fully covered from every angle this week. What, what is OBJ signing here for? Is it the fact that they offered him, I don't know, an absurd $18 million one-year contract that he wasn't getting anywhere near anywhere else in terms of offers? I don't know that, but I'm almost positive no one else was offering him that kind of money. Maybe he's just chasing the bag. Very possible. Receivers, we see it happen. Or maybe he's going, and it's only because he thinks Lamar Jackson's going to be there. He has reason to believe that, and he's still ring chasing. But this is the guy that left Cleveland and went to the Rams I mean, they, they paid him well, but it wasn't for the money. It was because he wanted to go win a ring, and he did. He, he was a big part of the reason why they won that ring. Is he no longer in ring chasing mode, or is this still ring chasing? And if so, that means that he must know or must think he knows that Lamar Jackson is back. It's an interesting question. I think also from a Raven standpoint, it might be an indication that they would rather pay for a bona fide or what used to be a bona fide stud in OBJ over right. this potential wide receiver draft class. Maybe that's what they decided. And if, if Lamar well, is indeed coming back, uh, they'd rather take a gamble on Lamar than take a gamble on these uh, smaller wide receivers, which is a kind of a bummer. Cause I wanted to continue to mock Jordan Addison to them. Cause I don't think he's very good and he's small and he's exactly the kind of guy that the Ravens would, would draft, but I guess I won't anymore cause they won't be doing that. All right, we can move on. Let's move on to the current Titans cap situation here. So, of course, with yep. Corey Levin signing a one-year $1.08 million deal and then Trayvon Wesco signing a one-year $1.2 million deal, let's look at where the Titans currently stand. So, it, with top 51 cap space, they have $6,619,603. The cap space needed for draft picks is $4.055 million which means their cash payroll rank is 31st in the league. Yeah, uh, these are all numbers courtesy of the calculations of our guy, Zach Lyons, over at Football and Other F-Words, at F-Words Pod on Twitter. He does a great job. He's kind of our go-to guru when it comes to specific numbers in the offseason. 
um, when it, when it, I guess the business of contracts and all of that, he's very, very talented with those things. So we lean on him for that. Appreciate him. You're going to see different numbers like that all over the place. That's why I think it's important to say where we're getting it from in terms of trusting the numbers for the Titans. I truly do trust him as much, if not more than I do the OTC or the spoke track numbers, because those bigger companies have to wrangle these numbers and they're sometimes not up to date. They're also oftentimes estimations that Zach gets more detailed on. For example, if you go look at those sites and try to figure out how much money the Titans need in cap space to sign their draft class, the numbers they give you are, from what I've seen, significantly larger than what Zach believes they need. And he's got the the work to, to prove, to show the math that he's done on, on why that's what they need. I think that really is roughly $4 million right now that they need for those draft picks. Um, none of those deals are b- bank breaking. Obviously they, they have just short of $7 million in cap. They can make more. We've talked about this. There's another deal coming. You know that there is, whether it's Bayard making some more room, whether it's Henry making some more room, whether it's Tannehill making some more room, there are players on the roster that they can manipulate. they could not drop or cut or trade. They could do those things to make some room, but I'm expecting them to manipulate those contracts while the players remain on the teams to make some more space because they have to have some more space if they're going to add any more talent and they have to add some more talent. So it's coming eventually. Next up here, the Titans uh, RFA Aaron Brewer finally signed his one year tender worth $4.3 million. This does bring up the important point here though, that he still uh, is able to sign an offer sheet with another team. So he's not, technically on the team but he does have until april 21st to sign an offer sheet somewhere else we'll have to see my money is on him being a titan yeah that's that's a lot of money for aaron brewer who by the way for 4.3 million dollars on his one-year tender he congratulations well i'd like to introduce you titans fans to your new starting center that is absolutely who he will be we we're expecting him and levin Corey levin to probably battle out in camp for that but Levin is making just north of million dollars on a one-year contract. Brewer is making almost four and a half million dollars on a one-year contract. He's going to be the preference for the job. I think he's going to get the job. And I think he's got the potential to be pretty good at the job, even though people have grown to hate him um, in his, the, the complicit, the complicity that he had in the abomination of the left side of the line last year at the guard position. He's not built to be a guard. He never really was built to be a guard. He's certainly not built to be a guard that, that has to play alongside Dennis Daly. There's no way he can carry his weight. He needs somebody else to carry a little bit of extra weight for him. And Dennis Daly ain't carrying anything, but uh, the jock straps of the people running around him every single snap. I will say this. Don't ex- like, like JT said, don't expect him to sign it anywhere else. I think that this significantly lowers the Titans odds of going after a guy that is projected to be a potential center. I don't think they were going off after a center explicitly in the draft anyways. Um, We've talked about how they're trying to key in on versatile guys. They like to have guys that are like more interior or more out, out exterior linemen. And, and let, or at least that seems to be the case with Rand and Vrabel. Let's get guys that can shuffle around. It's not a guy that, whoa, he has to play center. He has to play left guard. The only guy in this draft near the top in terms of talent for interior linemen that people are saying that guy's a center is John Michael Schmitz out of Minnesota, who's a very good player and I think would be very good on any team. He'd be good for the Titans. I think that if you are hoping for a John Michael Schmitz appearance in Tennessee, this lowers those odds, although he could, I guess, play guard as well. 
but that's the only the only other thing from this that I think you can take away besides the fact that Aaron Brewer is your new center. So congratulations. We had a couple of Titans who got new numbers that they will be wearing next season. Start off with Sean Murphy Bunting, who will be taking that most coveted new number zero for the Titans. Aziz Al-Shair will be wearing number two. Arden Key wearing number 49. Luke Gifford, number 57. Daniel Brunskill, number 60. Andre Dillard, number 71. John LeGlue wearing number 72. Tyler Shelvin also wearing number 72. So it's going to be a battle for those two. Somebody's got to go, baby. Justin Rigg, 83. And Trayvon Wesco, number 88. Don't care about any of this besides Sean Murphy Bunting being your first zero ever as a Titan. So uh, there you go. It's a, it's a good number for a corner, I think. I like it. Finally, an interesting player to come out of the XFL from this past week is Hakeem Butler. Well, maybe Butler. to come out of the XFL. I think he's going to who scored a touchdown this past weekend for the St. Louis Battlehawks. That's six receiving touchdowns for him this season. Could be an interesting uh, NFL team pickup for a camp this upcoming summer. Butler was a Cardinals fourth round pick in 2019. Yeah, this is a random, not really big in the news at all, but it's a thing that I wanted to bring up. Pay attention to the XFL. I think there's some skill position players in the XFL and some defenders and maybe some special teams aces that that are going to come from the XFL and have we saw it a little bit with some of the spring leagues already guys coming into the NFL. I forget who the guy for Dallas, their punt returner is, but he was, I think, the MVP of the USFL and then got a gig as the punt returner for the Cowboys. And I think he got award nods this year for being a special teams ace returner. Hakeem Butler is one of these guys that I think could make his exit from the minor leagues up to the big leagues. And as soon as this summer, he's a guy who is now on his sixth receiving touchdown for the season in the XFL. I don't know how many games they played. I know it's not more than five or six. So that's very good. Um, He's the kind of guy when you look up at his numbers, you wonder how did he get bounced from the NFL? His measurables, some of the most impressive I've seen for a receiver in a long time. And maybe it's because we've been looking at this wide receiver class of shrimps for too long. And it's just like an oasis in the desert, Ah, a big bodied receiver, but six, five and three eighths inches tall, 97th percentile height, 95th percentile weight, 98th percentile wingspan, 99th percentile arm length, 98th percentile hand size, 63rd percentile 40. So a four, four, eight second, 40 yard dash, plenty fast. Like this dude's got the traits and he's, excelling at the, at the lower level. So at the very least, bring him in to be a body in your training camp, in your August camp, in, in your um, preseason games, like a team that needs receivers and could really use one that they find as a, rhyme, a diamond in the rough for cheap. I don't know if the Titans, for example, this is the kind of guy you should bring in for at least being a body in the preseason process. All right, that's it for non-draft talk today. Uh, that we did roughly 30 minutes on that. We're going to do roughly 30 minutes now on the top 10 defensive tackles in this draft. JT, you and I have our big boards. Let's pull those up. And I'm excited to talk about these guys. I'm, I'm excited, really. Here's an, an admission. I'm, I'm not unexcited by the defensive players in this draft by any means. I think there's a lot of studs. I think the Titans are going to come away with a couple of them. Um, and I think that it's a talented group. I'm not saying the offense is way better than the defense by any means in this draft class. I am saying that as somebody that is a draft analyst and is doing so generally speaking, but also with a focus on the team that I cover, we've not paid attention to these defensive players much in the last two months or so 
as compared to how much we've paid attention to the offensive guys. And so going through these defenders, we've started, we're going to get the whole defense out of the way, all the defensive position groups out of the way this week, and then move on to the offensive guys. I think all we have left is edge and cornerback after today. It's been eye-opening to really do deep dives so that we know what we're talking about on these guys for the show. There's some really talented guys in this group. I, th- I think generally speaking, we knew that the, the edge and the defensive line groups were, were s- stacked. They're deep. I think that this is a maybe even a better group than people are giving it credit for. I think that you could see, I'm looking at my top 10 list here. You could see four or five of these guys five years from now being bona fide NFL stars. I was impressed. All righty. So let's go down our, I guess, 10 through number six for these, these p- players right now. Do you want to do that once again? Yeah. Well, let's, me- let's mention our honorable mentions and then we can go five and five. I'm good with that for sure. Yeah, so for my two honorable mentions, these are two guys that I thought they had good uh, measurables, just kind of did not make my top 10. They're very close, though. Zach Pickens out of South Carolina and Carl Mm -hmm. Brooks from Bowling Green. Yeah, the two guys that I had left out who, just for time, we're not going to talk about the details on these guys today. Neither of them in my book are even defensive tackles. When we get to the, we were talking about this before the show, JT, but when you get to the edge defensive tackle genre of player it's kind of tricky especially when you're going college to pros there's a lot of projecting involved guys change positions guys are better suited to different positions and different draft analysts see different guys playing at different positions in the nfl so when i go and i try to watch the tape try to learn from from others in the draft space look at others notes compare and contrast what i saw to what others saw get some notes on on stats and all these things try to figure out where they are in the consensus board you often run into guys that I'm like, wait a second. Why is he, I'm looking at linemen. Why is this edge in here? Well, it's because folks consider them alignment. So the two guys that I left off of my board that depending on who you are and your knowledge of this draft, you might say, why in the world do they leave those two guys off the list entirely? They didn't even mention them. Well, it's because we're going to talk about them tomorrow and spoiler Tuesday's episode, Tuesday morning, you'll have the top 10 edges in this NFL class, which is a stacked group of players. These two players will mention tomorrow because I, I, and I think JT as well, because he's got them not on his list either. I consider them more as an edge, but they are kind of a tweener between the, the interior and exterior defensive line positions. So the two guys I had mentioned that I often saw mocked or draft scouted reviewed as an interior guy are Keon white out of Georgia tech and at a time out of out of out of Northwestern. I've gotten better at saying that name, by the way. Those two guys we'll talk about tomorrow. So without further ado, JT, I'll just run down my bottom, the first five in my top 10, number 10 through six. At number 10, I have Tuli Tui Pelotu out of USC. At nine, I have Zach Pickens out of South Carolina. You left just outside of your board. At number eight, I have defensive lineman Moro Ojomo out of Texas. At seven, Gervon Dexter out of Florida. And at six, Siaka, Siaki Ika out of Baylor. JT, who are your first five defensive tackles? Yeah, so at number 10, I have uh, Jervon Dexter. Number nine, Kobe Turner, a guy out of Wake Forest. Number eight, uh, Tuli Tui Polotu. Number seven, Moro Ojamo. And number six, we both have Siaki uh, Ika at Baylor. All right, so in terms of the order we can approach these, let's start with the two guys that we disagree on in this group most. 
you're higher on Tui, Tui Pelotu out of USC than I am. I'm higher on, is it, do you know if it's Gervon or Jervon Dexter? I do not. Okay. Cause we said it differently. Um, it's one of the two. So say it however you want. I'm higher on Gervon Dexter than you are out of Florida. I'll, I'll give you the floor first gentlemen first here. Tell me what it is you saw in <clears throat> Gervon Dexter, why you liked him. And then I can explain why I maybe liked him a little bit more. Yeah, so I think mostly I put him at the bottom of my list because I think he is a lot more of a project than a lot of these other players. Mm. Um, he's 310. He ran a 48840, which puts him in the 91st percentile of of a lot of players in this NFL combine. But I just think he's more of a project. I watched a lot of his tape the past couple of days and nothing really just stuck out to me. I thought he was... Um, he had his best year, I believe last year. And then this past year didn't live up to the expectation that he kind of set for himself the previous year. Right. He looks more of a guy that needs to learn a little bit more technique and needs to maybe just going to take a little bit of time to adjust to the NFL level. The thing that I liked about Gervon Dexter more than you, and he is just for reference here, he's the defensive lineman eight on the consensus board, the mock draft database consensus that takes all of the mocks in the internet draft community and finds the consensus that we reference often. He's the eighth guy there. He's my defensive lineman seven. He's JT's defensive lineman 10. He's the 73rd overall guy on the mock consensus board and a round three grade. I do think that a late two, early third round draft of Gravon Dexter is perfectly appropriate for him. You look at his measurables, he's a big-bodied guy. His size is the number one thing on the marquee for him. 6'5 and 3 fourths inches is good for the 91st percentile, 82nd percentile weight at 310 pounds. This is a big boy that's going to play on the interior for sure. He's going to be nose-to-nose with guards and centers. Arm length leaves something to be desired. This is why he's not an edge rusher for sure. This guy's not the most versatile in the world by any means. 15th percentile arms, only 32 and a fourth inches long. His speed is good for a 488 63rd percentile ninth percentile 10 yard split. You don't expect that to be awesome for interior guys. He's not got a ton of explosive ability. His three cone isn't very uh, awesome either. His broad jump and vertical jump are fine, relatively at just below average. And then his bench press is lower, but that's not a big deal. Uh, it's it's really not a lot of a concern to me. With him, I'll just say this. You definitely are right. He had a better first year, or excuse me, a better second year in college than his third and final year. He had some inconsistencies game to game. His pass rush win rate is above average, 8.5%. His pass rush grade is lower, though. So generally speaking, he's not a great rusher. His run defense is above average. He's a good run stuffer. And at that size, that's what you expect them to be. 310-pound, almost 6'6 guy. He's going to be a big body to be in the way in the interior. So is he going to get after the quarterback a ton? No. But is he a guy that can be a big body, two-down player, rotational guy that is going to block up those interior holes of the offensive line of your opponent? Yeah, absolutely he is. And I think that... He's a guy that uh, with the right group, I mean, his his run stop rate is well, well, well above average in the elite area, 7.7% in his past past year. So he's kind of a one-trick pony, run stopper, but I think he's very, very good at it. The next guy we'll talk about is the guy that I'm not as high on, but you're a little bit higher on. 
And that is my 10th overall defensive lineman, Tui, Tui Pelotu out of USC. He's the consensus defensive lineman six, 62nd overall on the consensus big board, a round two grade. I think that early round three is more accurate for him, but that's kind of splitting hairs. He doesn't have a ton of measurables available to us. Six, uh, three and a fourth inches tall, 50th, 51st percentile, 266 pounds, 25th percentile. So size wise, a different player than Gervon Dexter is for sure. Arm length, 15th percentile. So just like Gervon, he's more an interior guy. Definitely not going to be coming around the edge. I don't think for any team. But when you look at his college numbers, which I think are more reflective of the tape, which I've watched a little bit of in the past couple of days, two very, very solid years. The past two seasons played three years for USC His PFF grade. If you care about that for all three seasons above 70, he was above 80 for his last two years, despite his size concerns and the measurables, which really are the thing that are keeping him down on these lists. He was really good at USC. Now the talent that he's facing in the pac 10, not the best, right? They're playing the Washington States, the Utah's, the Arizona's, the Cal uh, California's and the Colorado's of the world. Not exactly SEC teams that he's going up against, not SEC offensive linemen he's having to beat. And yet elite across the board, according to PFF's grading, pass rush grade 81, run defense grade 75, pass rush win rate more than double Gervon Dexter, 19.1%. So this isn't a one-trick pony if you think that his tape tells us anything. In college, this dude did it all on the defensive line. It's just as a matter of his size is concerning. JT, besides his size, I guess you didn't really find a whole lot of concerns with him, and the size didn't concern you as much for him. Why Why is that? What did you like about Tui, Tui Pelotu? Yeah, I can agree with you. Um, that's what stuck out to me as well about him. The thing that I really liked about him, though, is how versatile he is. That's kind of a common theme with a lot of my guys and why Definitely. they might be higher on my board. He can play both interior and outside. Last year, um, he played both interior and outside, but mostly outside. He had 488 snaps on the outside tackle last year with a 19.1% pass rush win rate. So despite being a smaller guy, he was still able to get after the quarterback. Yeah. Um, and he's consistently on the field. He put up a Love 733 that. snaps last year and still put up an 82.1. The year before that, he had 630 snaps and put up an 82.6 PFF grade. So he's versatile. He's consistent being on the field. The only thing that I really didn't like about him is that he had a 31.4% miss tackle rate last season, which is mm. a huge red flag for me. I honestly would have had him maybe at my six or five, um, but just because of that missed tackle rate, as sure. we've talked about with the safeties and the linebackers, that's it's a big red flag um, when, we're, when we're evaluating these guys. So that's why he was my number eight. Yeah, it's an interesting conversation to be had because when you project from college to the NFL, both their tape and their traits are the things that you put into. Those are the ingredients that you take into consideration when you're trying to guess what they'll be doing at the next level. This is, I think, two guys that are a great example of both are not long athletes. One is much bigger than the other in Gervon Dexter and Tui Tupolotu. And yet Tui... Tuli, based on his tape, based on his experience in college, it seems like he can play inside and outside. He has that versatility, which, by the way, a very good vocab word use on your part, you Titans media member, you. 
he's got that versatility despite his size concerns, despite his length concerns. Gervon Dexter doesn't have size concerns. He does have length concerns. And I would argue he probably can't play on the outside. Why? Well, because his college coaches didn't seem to think he could either because he didn't line up out there. He was lining up inside. So could he potentially have versatility in the NFL? Could he be more of an outside guy? It's possible, but folks aren't projecting him to be that because of his lack of length and because he didn't do it in college. With Thule, teams could delude themselves into thinking this guy, and I say delude because I don't think he's an outside player at the NFL level, but you could argue, hey, he did it in college. Let's have him do it here in the NFL. He can move inside and outside. It's kind of a give or take there. So I just, I find that interesting. Let me run down what I found interesting about Zach here. Uh, Zach Pickens out of South Carolina. He's my defensive lineman nine. And I'll talk about him because he's the first guy out. It looks like for you. I think he's your defensive tackle 11 based on your notes that I'm looking at. I thought that he was good enough to be in my top 10. I'm a little bit higher on him than you. He's the consensus defensive lineman nine. So I've got him right where the seems like the, the zeitgeist has him 121st overall prospect on the big board around four grade. I think around four grade is, is accurate. I would take him at the end of the third. Um, but I think that he's more likely to go into that third day. Look at his traits relatively average across the board, except for one big difference that, that differentiates him from the two guys we've talked about so far. Zach Pickens has got length, man. This guy's long. He is six, three, five, six, three and five eighths, which is middle of the road for the defensive lineman position. 291, uh, 291 pounds, middle of the road. His arm length, 34 and three eighths inch arms, 82nd percentile arms. So certainly a guy that I think can play on both the inside and the outside, but we shall see. But when you look at his numbers from college, this is a, a guy that I think backs up his projection from a traits standpoint with his numbers on the field, 11.5% pass rush win rate an adequate pass rusher uh, improved year on year from the, the past two seasons uh, improved his number of snaps brought, took on a, a bigger workload in college had kind of an up and down year game to game. Not a whole lot of consistency. He's got to work on that. He's got an above average run stop rate of 6.2%. He was graded relatively low as a run defender. So he's more the pass rush type, not shocking giving, given his, his size and his profile. Uh, he is a senior. So he's a little bit on the older side. I don't have a whole lot to say about him. Besides, he just feels like one of the safest rotational borderline starter guys in this draft who I think is, is worthy of a top 10 slot. If you don't have anything else to say on him, if you've said your piece on on Zach Pickens, we can move on to a guy that I, I think is the first interesting one we have on the board here, a guy that you and I both, and I'm mad that we're both higher on him than consensus because I thought I was cool. Um, this was this was a my this still is one of my guys in this class in the defensive line position because I think he's better than folks are letting on, but apparently you do too, and that's Moro Ojamu. Is it Ojam Ojamu Ojamu? Let's see Ojamu out of Texas. See, some of these guys I actually have a pronunciation guide on. He is the consensus defensive lineman 14 on the big board. He is my defensive lineman eighth. JT, he is your defensive lineman seven. He is the 132nd overall player on the big board with a round four grade. I would draft this guy anywhere in the third round in a heartbeat. I really, really like him. I'll let you go first, JT. Let me know what it is you saw in Mauro Ojamo. Well, I think it just comes down to his production. This past year, I'm surprised with his production in his senior year that he wasn't kind of up on these boards a lot more. I think when it comes down to it, 
it's really just his size that has everybody scared. He had a 17.8% pass rush win rate last year. And at the combine, he tested really well. He he really was an all-around average guy, which with, with some of these guys, you know, it, with their measurables um, and more so the drills and things they had to do at the combine, sometimes they didn't perform. With with him, he performed very well in a lot of his things. He had a 5.0440, which is the 61st percentile. He's got good arm length with 34 and a half inch arms, which is the 88th percentile. And with his vertical and broad jump, he was both 88th and 86th percentile, respectively. I, I think a lot of people are just down on him because he's smaller. He, he's got a height of 6'2 half, which is 34, and he's 292 pounds in the 17th percentile. And when I was watching his tape, this guy is a monster. He's got He's got the ability to beat you. Um, he's just smaller. Yeah, it's the, it's the tape that I wanted to talk about. And I, I'm, I'm glad that you watched a bit of it as well. I watched, I probably watched more tape on Mauro Ojamo out of anybody in this group of defensive linemen. I kind of just got sucked in and watched probably twice as much as I did on any of these other guys. I like his game a lot. And I think his measurables back it up. You mentioned a lot of them, but his size, not the tallest in the world, perfectly decent weight. At nearly 300 pounds, he's a longer player, um, north of that 34-inch arm benchmark for a lot of guys, uh, 85th percentile for length. So, like you said, he's a guy that I think is going to have some versatility. Where he wins, in my opinion, is the run game. It is it's like it is like textbook all the time. It's it's like teach tape. I I really really like it. His his hands, his hips, everything. It's everything fires. In, in unison, and he just he's well within his body, a connected player. His technique is very well-developed, I think further along than most of these other guys. So, yes, he's a bit undersized, undersized rather, but um, I think that if, if you're wondering why he's graded where he is despite having really good tape, it's because of his size, not his ability. He's going to be a 3-4 defensive end kind of guy if you're somebody that pays attention to schemes. He can be a difference member, a difference maker. I think as a as a gapper, as well as a guy that can be head up over the tackles. I don't think he's really a guy that's going to come flying around the edge a ton, but he can play more on the outside there. That's something that is gaining a lot of importance. Um, this is if if you happen to read the PFF profile on him, I'm not copywriting. I'm going to give them credit for this part, but I ripped it exactly because I think it's a really important point when I was reading their profile on him. A guy that can play both inside and also kind of like some of the players the Titans have on the defensive line with that versatility that can also play a head up on the tackle. That's becoming more and more important in today's NFL as light boxes in the NFL continue to um, be more and more prevalent as teams try to get home with, with less players, guys that can move in and outside and can stay on the field for a, a series and play multiple positions and not have to bring new bodies on and off. That's valuable to NFL teams for sure. It's his pass rush ability that leaves something to be desired. Um, he's just not got a whole lot of tools in the toolbox when it comes to his pass rush. He is uh, a, a, an athletic guy. I mean, we've run down his numbers in the percentiles. His RAS is 9.14. So certainly a, a freaky athlete, generally speaking. But his bull rush is the only thing really that is effective on tape that I saw. He doesn't have many counters beyond that. So he's a guy that doesn't have a whole lot of tools to get to the quarterback, which is the number one thing that people value on the defensive line. And yet 
I think that he's somebody that a team could see and say, we can teach that guy more than a bull rush. We think he's got it. He could be a starter three down guy in the league for sure. Who do we have left here, JT? Let me take a look at the number six here. Siaki Ika, which we both have out of Baylor at the number six on both of our uh, top tens here. He's a really interesting prospect to me. Yeah, let's let's talk about him before we move to the top five. Um, you're right. We have him both at six. How about that? Let me know uh, what you thought about Siaki Ika. He's a guy that that me personally coming into this, he was not one of the 10 guys that I initially had on my rough draft. And then I dug into him and was really impressed. Uh, I had my eye on him a little bit just because he's big. <laughs> he is big. <laughs> he's very, very big. Have you have you looked at his mock draftable web? Because it's one of the funnier ha- ones you've yes, you can see. I, I've, it is I've the strangest shape. I've seen a little bit of it. He's 6'3", 335, and he ran a five. He, he ran a five three nine, which for a guy who weighs three hundred thirty five pounds, I thought was pretty impressive. Um, I mean, so- for reference, that's well over a hundred pounds more than me, and I run roughly a five three nine. So, <laughs> my my when I was watching his tape, the the guy that really came to mind for me is Bengals interior lineman DJ Reader. I think he's a big dude who sheds like blocks guy. like he's forty pounds lighter than he is. He was be he was able to get around guys, kind of just bull rush. There was there was a couple. Uh, Texas clips where he was just getting to the quarterback by just kind of you know classic blindside uh, clip where he takes him all the way to the bus. He took then, this yeah, guy. He t- took a guy their- all the way to the quarterback, <laughs> yep. and on the and on, on the ride. same drive, he was knocking down passes in midair. Like this guy can do it all, and he looks like he's forty pounds lighter than he is, which is why he just is right outside my top five. He, this guy's a, a massive interior brawler. That's the best way to describe him. He's got play wrecking ability. I agree with you. I think that, 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 and I know exactly which rep you're talking about. Cause it's on every highlight tape of his that's out there. He's got some really impressive tape out there. Like I mentioned, his measurable is super weird. You, you already brought this up 335 pounds. He doesn't look it. I agree with you. He does not look like that big, but that's 96th percentile for interior defensive lineman. He's huge. Six three and a quarter, obviously very tall to go along with that. His arm length is seventeenth percentile, thirty two and three eighths. So I don't see him really as an interior guy in the NFL. But who cares with that size, right? Like if you're talking about, I need a body on the inside to block up the run lanes. This is the body you need because no one's running through this six three, three hundred and thirty five pound mountain of a man. His ten yard split, I only bring up because it's very funny. He's in the one percentile. I don't even know if one is a word. I, I think it's probably not the first percentile. That's what it is. It's the first percentile, but we'll say the one percentile. Uh, he's a tooth percentile 40 yard dash guy at five three nine, which I think is still relatively impressive for his size. The reason why I think he could rise up boards and he's already risen up a little bit, but the reason he may continue to rise is just the mountainous size he has to combine with that power as an interior guy, he is not a versatile player. NFL front offices are not looking at this guy as somebody that they want to bring in and test around different positions in different looks. You know exactly what you're going to get Ika for. There is one thing that you bring in Siaki Ika for, and that is to be a body in the run game. His role is a nose tackle. Absolutely. Obvious. There's, There's really no explanation there. He wins with his strength. His lower body strength is very, very nice. If he were to fall in the draft, he he's just lacking in terms of being anything else but a run stopper. 
not the best tackler can really only be viewed as a two down early down guy as a run plugger. So you don't, you don't have him in when you're trying to get after the quarterback and he's, he's struggled to be that every down player in college. He, he tried a good bit from what I read and it just didn't really work out. So that's why his limited ability in terms of how often he can be on the field in a game. That's the reason why he's not quite in my top 10 defensive lineman in this class. JT, I'm looking at our top five here, and we've got uh, – we'll try to get through them in the next 15 minutes or so because we're up against it with time. Let's first talk about – let's kind of break it up in, in halves here. In uh, five through three, we share two players, so let's talk about those two. My fifth, fourth, and third players are Brian Bercy, Kalijah Canton – Brian Bercy out of Clemson, Kalijah Cansey out of Pittsburgh – and my defensive lineman three is Keanu Benton out of Wisconsin. Your next three are defensive lineman five, Keanu Benton. Clemson defensive lineman four, Brian Bercy. And Michigan defensive lineman three, Maisie Smith. Let's talk about the two we have in common, Keanu Benton and Brian Bercy. What did you like about Keanu Benton? He He's somebody that I'm higher than most on. He uh, Let's see, on the consensus board, he is the... Consensus defensive lineman five. So right where you have him, the 57th overall player, a round two grade. I think that round two is absolutely where this guy's going to go. What did you like about Keanu Benton? I just liked how he truly is a pass rush specialist. Like he, this yep. guy, he's, he's able to stuff the run, but where he really excelled, especially on tape and also at the combine was his pass rush ability. He's got a 13.3% pass rush win rate and an 80 percentile three cone, which out of the top five here, he basically wasn't higher on my board, mostly because of what the other four guys have done or what I think they can do. But no doubt in my mind that this guy is a round two guy. He's going to be a plug and play starter for whoever drafts him. Um, And if you're looking for a guy who's going to be able to, to get to the quarterback and be a lockdown pass rusher. He's a perfect fit. Yeah, I agree. I'm, I think he's the third best defensive lineman in this class for my money. I am a little bit higher on him. His measurables are, are good. They're above average. They're nothing, nothing to sniff at, right? He's North with 300 pounds. He's a big body guy. 80th, 81st percentile for weight, six, three and five eighths inches tall, 53rd percentile. Perfectly good. He's got the length that you're looking for. For a more versatile guy, almost just an eighth of an inch shy of 34 inch arms is good for 68th percentile arm length. And then he's got decent speed, but uh, that's a lie. Just kidding. I had it in my head. He had decent speed and I'm looking at it. He has below average speed. Um, He ran a 508 second 40 yard dash, but he's north of 300 pounds. So not all that shocking. He does have decent explosiveness. His broad jump and three cone drill, both north of 50%. Where he wins is his hand placement. And I watched a good bit of his tape as well because I was trying to really get down. I, maybe it's, I'm, I'm sensing the common thread. The two guys I was higher on here are Keanu Benton and uh, Ojamo. And I they're the two guys I watched the most tape on. Maybe it's because I know that I'm different on them and I want to make sure that I can back up my opinion. But he's got great hands, man. Very strong, very violent with his hands. He, he wins on tape constantly. Um, he's almost exclusively working um, inside in the tape that I saw, but he certainly has the ability to move outside. I saw him do a couple of reps on the outside. Um, He's a below average run defender, but he's a very, very, very good pass rusher. Like you mentioned, this is 
for my money, outside of the number one guy who I won't mention, it's Jalen Carter. He's the number one guy in terms of pass rush in this group for my money, at least based on what we saw in college. Now, some of these other guys, you could you could project a higher ceiling for them from a traits perspective. And, and I think some of them weren't utilized in the way that Benton was utilized in Wisconsin. He was assigned more rushing assignments than uh, other guys. I mean, than a guy like Jalen Carter would be, for example, at Georgia, where they don't need him to rush the quarterback. He split his time between the A and the B gaps. And yeah, I did have to go look that up at PFF because that's not really my game to get into the nitty gritty, but roughly 650 ish snaps at each of those two gaps, both interior. You should know that's right over the center uh, or over one of the guards. He can easily fill the same role, I think, in, in the NFL. And I think he does have that athleticism to in a pinch or on occasion be played as an outside guy. Maybe you're running a really light box, just a three man front. You could slide him over 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 a tackle between a tackle and a guard absolutely you could you could even line him up uh with with one hand in the dirt on the edge i think he plays if i had to if i had to give him something to improve on um he plays relatively tight at times his pad level is low but his hands get too low when his pad level is low and he kind of bottoms out a little bit um those reps are kind of few and far between and he's a big fella so that happens um but i think that this guy has potential from both a tape and a traits perspective to be a really good player. Really, the number one thing I, I saw from him uh, analyzing his performance in college was some real inconsistency, especially against some of the top talent, which I get is concerning. You know, he didn't do great against against the uh, Hawkeyes. He didn't do great against Ohio State, but they're good good teams with good players. So I think that that's understandable. Um, JT, who's the next guy we have to talk about here? Let's uh, talk for- about probably the most polarizing guy in oh, Brian Brissy. That's all you had to mention. Yeah, Brian Brissy. Uh, you want to start on Brian Brissy? Polarizing yeah. is the right way to describe him. So I have him as my number four. You have him at number five. Yep. Um, he, I, I think, still has the potential to go in the first round just because basically my big thing with him is that well, he's it the, was a, just not to interrupt you, but he is the 28th overall guy on the, on the consensus board. So he is a round one grade. According to the consensus, he's the defensive lineman three on the big board. But I think you and I both think that he's more a second round guy than a first. Um, yeah. I mean, I could see like, a, a, he seems like a perfect new Orleans saint in my mind. Like that, that's just where I, I like I think, that. Yeah, um, no, I think that's I, I a think I think that's a great that fit, could actually. be where he goes at number twenty nine. There, I think and the Saints are a team that um, love to make weird draft decisions, so I can really see them do. reach he on him. He could be first. he could be their finally their replacement for Trey Hendrickson and be that little project that they do sure. need. Um, I, people are down on him because he did have that down year and it wasn't as strong as the expectation, but he was also coming off that ACL tear. So I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt and say well, that. And he, we have to mention, I mean, like, personal family tragedy makes his evaluation mm-hmm. so difficult. So, difficult. Um, but I'm, I'm not willing to take him out of my top five because I think even if he is maybe a one year project project, you know um, I think he has the traits and the ability and has shown it in, in flashes to be a, late first early second round pick yeah i agree when you look at his measurables like this guy brings to the table on paper everything you're looking for 91st percentile height six five almost six six um two, 298 pounds so he's practically a 300 pounder 64th percentile he's got shorter arms so he's an interior guy for sure there's no doubt about that but um his explosiveness and his speed his speed is really where where he wins on it 
in comparison of those two categories. He's got a 486 40-yard dash for a guy that's almost 300 pounds. It's very good. That's 67th percentile. And he's got a, a roughly middle-of-the-road 10-yard split, so he's got some explosiveness too. His vertical was lower than most, 27th percentile. If he were to rise up boards, and he continues to fall down boards, so I don't expect this to happen, but if he were to rise, it's because this is a guy who, coming out of high school, I think was a number one over. I'm trying to see if it's written here anywhere. I don't have it written down. I think he was a number one prospect. He was definitely was the number one def interior defensive lineman prospect out of high school. In college, last year, during the draft process, during the offseason of college football, they were talking about this guy as a bona fide top 10 pick when he's eligible for the draft this year. And then he had a really tough year. When you look at his PFF grades throughout the year, or throughout his years, rather, they improved year on year, very marginally from 2020 to 21 to 22. So he technically did better overall in 2022 than 2021. But on tape, there's just no, there's a couple of games from this past season. The, the Furman, Syracuse, North Carolina, and Tennessee games really are padding his stats because he had some tough, tough games on tape. JT, I don't know if you watched any of the Florida State game on tape from him, but like if you compare... His like opening game of the season against Georgia Tech in Atlanta, as compared to that Florida State tape, it's tough, man. It's a tough scene. Now, I did mention personal family tragedy. His younger sister died during the season, tragically. So that like had that that's really difficult to make a a fair evaluation on him because he's a he's a college kid. He's going through a, a horrible thing in the middle of a football season. How do you how do you handle that? Um, it's really impossible to know. He's relatively versatile um, from what I saw on tape and how I saw people projecting him to the NFL, I guess. He's more capable of playing outside than I thought he would be when I first looked at some of his numbers. He doesn't quite have the length, but his play strength kind of closes the gap there, allows him to execute any role, at least that he was asked to play in college. Ideally, you don't want him going up head on against offensive tackles if it's not a necessity, but I think he's actually capable of it. He's not the most creative guy. That's the common thread that I've seen a lot of defensive line gurus mention for him. His tape is a broken record. Like it's the same things over and over when he wins. It's often the same thing. When he loses, it's often the same thing. He doesn't try a whole lot of different things. So like his bag, he stays firmly within the walls of his bag is not often adding new things to his bag. He needs to do that. And with NFL development, you'd imagine he will, but his play strength, his, his versatility because of that play strength and his, length that is bad but i guess just just good enough to be to be good enough to work as a guy on the outside that can't affect the quarterback um that that's going to be what teams bite on him for and that's the reason why he might end up going in the first round he did never really post impressive sack numbers in college at all his three seasons he had four one and three total sacks with six three and four quarterback hits so can he get after the quarterback yeah i mean he had 17 and 16 quarterback hurries in two of his three college seasons but is he going to be a guy that can reliably do that no and that's why I, ha I have him at my fifth position you have Maisie Smith out of Michigan at the number three spot is that correct yes. my, okay so I have him um at my he's my defensive lineman two in this class let's have yeah let's talk about him and then Kalaja Kansi who's your number two what mm -hmm. did you like about Maisie Smith what did you maybe not like as much as I did um, so he was a guy that is very much, um, just kind of new on my radar for him to be number three. There was definitely a lot of guys 
in the past week or so that I had above him. But I as I really started diving into it, he, he's just he's just going to be an amazing run stuffer. I think he maybe is yep. one of the top run stuffers in the class. He still had a decent pass rush win rate at 11.4, but not the best. But the dude is just really strong. He's built to be an interior guy. Yep. And if you want a premier pass or run stuffer in the in the draft, he's going to be one of your guys. Yeah, absolutely. He's the consensus defensive lineman for he is JT's three. He is my two. He's the 30th overall player on the consensus big board at round one grade. I think that he's a guy that if you if if a defensive lineman comes off the board in the first round, not named Kalijah Kansi or Jalen Carter, a lot of people are going to think that that person is Brian Bercy. I think that, that person should be Maisie Smith out of Michigan. I think that he's the, the third guy worth potentially a first round pick. Ultimately, I think he may be available on day two, not really pertinent to the Titans needs, but pertinent to a lot of teams needs. This guy's wide bodied, also a bruiser, interior lineman. He's got very high end athletic traits. His height, 26th percentile, six, two and three quarter inches, 323 pound weight, though. And at 323 pounds, he doesn't have a recorded 40 time or splits because he didn't run those in this offseason. But on tape. His play speed is impressive at that size. I thought that of all the 320 pound plus guys that I watched, except again, potentially for, well, no, Jalen Carter's not actually north of 320. I was wrong. So yeah, of all the 320 plus boys, I thought that Maisie Smith was the most impressive. He's very, very athletic, uh, big guy, plays with considerable power, always active with his hands. Another a little the thing, the, the small thing that is I'm most attracted to in defensive interior guys is what their hand placement is like and how they utilize their hand placement to their advantage. Because the NFL level, it's that kind of thing that is what wins you reps on the inside in particular as a defender. His, ro his role is definitely as a nose tackle. There's no doubt about that. He's another one of these guys that is a true hold the point nose tackle. He won't be much more than that. Uh, he's going to be a pocket pusher in the passing game. He's not going to really get after the quarterback. He has the strength to push the pocket, though, so I expect him to do that regularly in the NFL. Um, he plays a little bit too upright at times, gets knocked down off the ball. He may be an, an only early down guy in the NFL, especially at first. I think that's how teams will utilize him. But he, I think, ultimately has the ability to be an every down guy and not just an early down guy. His, his hands are good enough that I think he could work on his pass rush ability and get a little bit better at that. But even if he doesn't, he is the ultimate. If you're looking for a body to be a run stuffer in this draft, he is the number one guy for me in this class. So that's why Maisie Smith out of Michigan is my defensive lineman too. Now your defensive lineman too is a guy that at the combine was among probably the top five most impressive combine performances. That's Kalijah Kansi was being comped to a, not a former teammate of his, but a, for a, a fellow alma mater wait, wait, a, a, alumni a fellow alumni that's the word i'm looking for fellow alumni out of Pitt university up in pennsylvania a little guy named aaron donald who's done very well in the nfl these guys scary similar body type scary similar athleticism scary similar game but aaron donald was a kind of a tweener coming out he's proven to be the ultimate exception to that rule clearly you think that he can be an exception to that rule kalijah Kansi. He, he's a guy that it's very interesting when we talk about our, our cornerbacks later uh, in this the week? next week or so, yeah. whenever that is, 
where whereas like in 2022 Devin Witherspoon like shot up boards and is like the cornerback number one consensus now and I'm not totally buying that with Kalijah Kansi like he was like 2022 blew up and like at the combine like wowed and now I'm like totally in awe of him like you are drinking Kool-Aid on Kalijah Kansi I am a hypocrite of (laughs) of my own design here but I am we all are all right uh the dude was just insane. Like if you look at his, the the tape is absolutely crazy. And like, you can't even really say anything about his size because he he doesn't win with his size. He has the, he has great technique. He's going to be a a three technique guy in the league. He's got amazing twitch and versatility with his move set. Like the dude is going to be a a stud plug and play guy from the get go. And he's going to go in the top 20. Yeah, I love that you bring up he doesn't win with win with the size like it's an like it's a surprising thing. <laughs> I know that you know it's not because this yeah. dude is a one percent first percentile height and first percentile arm length guy. So length ain't it with this guy. This guy does not have length. Concerning lack of size, but what he is is a total firecracker of a pass rusher. He's explosive. His first step with his hands, everything about his game. Just, I kept thinking I'm trying to write down different descriptive words as I'm watching the tape. It's just, I keep coming back to explosive, explosive, explosive 91st percentile 40 yard dash. Okay. 4.67 second 40 yard dash that you and I were sitting there watching in person and caught our attention at the time. I remember that much an awesome 10 yard split 72nd percentile at 1.64 seconds. His weight is perfectly fine. 44th percentile, 281 pounds. He can add some weight, can't add height, can't add length. And yet despite his length, he's a really productive interior pass rusher from, from the inside. He's kind of a strange player. He's got the motor of an outside of an edge and he's got the body type of really a tweener between the interior and the exterior, but more useful on the interior, at least in college. And, and it's an interesting comp to the NFL because do you think teams are going to use him on the insides on the inside as an undersized player? I don't know. That's really, really light to be successful in the NFL. You have to be uniquely to the point of being a real outlier. You have to have a unique play strength and, and speed and power and, to his credit, it seems like he does. He is twitched up to the moon. He is wound up like a like a toy you find at Cracker Barrel, and he just runs and runs and runs like the inner energizer bunny out there, energizing or urgency with everything that he does. His hands and feet are extremely quick. He knows how to use both very well. He's a penetrating three technique defensive tackle. That is how he's going to be used in the NFL almost certainly. Um, I think that he's going to be a three down guy. Maybe not if his run stopping ability isn't impressive in the NFL. Maybe he's more a late down guy, but I think that he could be a three down guy. What he can improve at is playing under control, his size, his shortcomings. They're not going to go anywhere um, in that department, but he can get much better from a technique standpoint and he can get much better at not being in a hurry all the time. So much so that sometimes he overcommits to things. Sometimes he gets ahead of himself. Sometimes he's got two left feet a little bit. That's not often, though. It's few and far between. Most of the time he's winning. He's just a tough comp because against NFL or a, a tough, a tough um, evaluation, JT, because when he gets to the NFL at that size, there's a lot of question marks. I mean, you go and you look a lot of guys who are high on Kalaja Kansi point to the tape and say, whoa, look at these three pass rush reps against Tennessee, for example, early in the fall last year. And yeah, they're amazing. He looks like a bona fide first round pick. 
But then guys who aren't a fan of them will say, okay, now look at the other 37 reps that he has from this game. It's, it's just a bunch of nothing. Like inconsistent is the word I'd use most in terms of watching his tape. It is a lot of all or nothing. If teams can get all out of him, awesome. But these tweeners just scare me because they either have to be an exception size-wise, build-wise, or they end up being somebody that is just not built to play one position or the other. They're not they're not best utilized at either, and sometimes that means they're not going to be utilized at all in the NFL, and they just they can't hang. He's the kind of guy that feels like the most boom-bust in this class. Like, if you told me four years from now he's the best defensive lineman in the class, he's literally like, and Aaron Donald Light, I'd believe you. If you told me uh, he's just another tweener that couldn't hang in either position, he's not in the league anymore, I'd believe you, despite his athleticism. So he scares me. JT, I don't know if I would want to draft him because it's a, it is, you're going out on a limb, but the high side is there, man. It is there. I, I agree with you. It might, it might be more of a situational thing. Like personally, the hot, the hot commodity to pick him is the lions at 18. Like yeah. if, the, if you put, if you put him on the, on that growing young core, I, I think he, I think he excels. But if you put him on a, on a different line that might struggle a little bit more like the Tampa Bay Buc the Buccaneers or something like that, he, he might, he might falter a little bit more. I think it's going to come down to where he goes. I think fit with him. It's a great point is more important than most. If he gets put on a team, I also think, I think versatility for where the team he goes is important as well. JT, because if he gets put on a team in which, you know, they've got a guy like Siaki, Siaki Ika, for example, just a big bodied run stuffer on the inside that they compare with the polar opposite player style wise in Kalaja Kansi. And then you mix and match and you're throwing all kinds. I mean, your, your interior defensive line is, is literally a pitcher in major league baseball. You've got seven different pitches. You can throw 13 different combinations. Like that kind of thing could be really nice. And if you get a really brilliant defensive coordinator, like get, put his hands on that kind of versatility, it could get nasty fast. But if he is the guy expected to be your bona fide stud gap penetrator on the inside, he might just, the size just might not be there. Um, let's move on to our, our last guy here who the size is there. <laughs> the, uh, yeah, I mean, this is, this is one of probably five players in this draft as we go through the series. Like when we get to, when we get to Bryce young, when we get to CJ Stroud, when we get to Jameer Gibbs, when we get to, um, uh, who else? Anderson jr. When we like, when we get to JSN, like there's a handful of these guys that you don't have, there's no necessary introduction. There, there are no needed introduction. There's I'm surprised not a whole lot you of real quick. You, you put Jameer Gibbs in that, in that, <laughs> in did that group of people. Gibbs? Yeah. I, I, did you mean Bijan? That guy named? That's what I meant. Yeah. You I meant Bijan. I was like, I was like, I said the wrong. I like Jameer Gibbs, but like, yeah, no, 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 no. I mean, Bijan Robinson. Thank you for that correction. Uh, it's, it's, it's the guy of the hour. It is the number one on some draft boards, the number one player in the entire draft and on every single draft board you can find, he is the number one defensive lineman in this draft. If you find one where he's not, don't listen to the person that wrote that article ever again. He is Jalen Carter out of Georgia. Um, I'll, I'll bring it home here, JT, and feel free to interrupt me with any input you might want to add. But I'm just going to go down the basics here. Not anything unique from me from a from a evaluation standpoint. He is the consensus defensive lineman one. He's both of our defensive lineman ones, the fifth overall player on the big board, round one grade. He would be a bona fide, for sure, top five pick without a shadow of a doubt. Put your mortgage on it if he didn't have 
kind of a nightmare past month. JT, it's kind of surreal because you and I were there the morning that the news was breaking and we were part of the posse of people in Indianapolis that day who were reporting it online at the time that Jalen Carter was not going to be coming out and speaking at the podium that we were all standing around at the time waiting for him to come out to. It was really at the last minute this came down. The warrant that came out for his arrest in Georgia for and I'll be honest, I've not done a ton of digging on the story, but I know it's a speed racing thing. Somebody, a former teammate or a friend died. He was maybe complicit, maybe left the scene. I'm not going to go into the details because I don't want to besmirch anybody or say anything wrong about a legal case. I don't know. Go look it up. That being said, it seems like it's not the most concerning thing in the world because teams are still quite high on him. His agent, Drew Rosenhaus, has been turning away teams interested in meeting with him who aren't inside the top 10 because he fully expects his client to go in the top 10 bold choice for his sake. Maybe not a horrible thing that he falls a little bit. Cause he'll go to a better team. One might imagine his measurables. He brings everything to the table that you're looking for his arm length, 33 and a half inch arms, 57th percentile. He's got the flexibility to play inside or out, but with this guy, this talent, he's going to be playing inside for sure. Six, three and an eighth inches tall, 51st percentile, 314 pounds, 87th percentile. So a big bodied guy. If he rises any further, than he currently is, which is a bona fide top 10 pick. It's going to be because his off field issue concerns get cleared up and people are less concerned about them. Because from a player standpoint, there is nothing to be worried about, really. Like the only things that I could find for negatives, JT, my negatives column in my in my book here is is relatively empty because all I could think of is he never really posted elite sack numbers. There's the off field issues that may or may not actually be issues. Like beyond that, I I don't know. He's a versatile defensive tackle. He's his frame is fantastic. Um, more of a three technique, but he's more than capable of lining up wherever you need him between the tackles, making plays. Um, there's not a whole lot he can improve on. Again, there's not really there's it's just minor gripes and quibbles. He has the goods on the field for sure. Power, power, power. If I describe him with one word, that word is power. This guy is an interior penetrator. He combines a lot of different, I mean, bulldozer power. Um, spin moves, his hand placement's fantastic. His technique is very polished, best in this group, very nimble feet, consistently just picking up and forklifting offensive linemen, wrecking pockets. He does it all pass rush need, needing to be a body in the run game, needing to be a good tackler. Like it all checks out with this guy. So wherever he goes, as long as he's not got off field issues and is the kind of person that can succeed in the NFL has the personality for it, has the drive for it. He, he might end up being the most talented guy out of this draft class. It's really all there is to say, JT, do you have anything else to add to Jalen Carter? Besides, I hope he's not a, a dirt bag off the field. That's the only thing <laughs> nope. you can hope for. <laughs> yeah, okay. nope. And with that, those are our top 10 defensive tackles in the 2023 NFL draft. I don't think we've been doing this, but just for wrapping everything up with a, with a bow JT, if anybody who's listened, wanted to go back and, uh, do their own research research on some of these guys. Here are our top 10 boards. JT's top 10 defensive linemen. Defensive lineman 10, Gervon Dexter out of Florida. Defensive lineman 9, Kobe Turner out of Wake Forest. 8, Tui Tui Pelotu out of USC. 7, Moro Ojamo out of U uh, University of Texas. 6, Siaki Ika out of uh, Baylor. Four or five, Keanu Benton out of Wisconsin. Four, Brian Brissy out of Clemson. Three, Mazi Smith, Maisie Smith out of Michigan. Two, Kalijah Kansi out of Pitt. And one, Jalen Carter out of Georgia. My top 10 defensive lineman 10 is also Tui Tui Pelotu. 
out of USC. Number nine is Zach Pickens out of South Carolina. Number eight is Moro Ojamo out of Texas. Number seven is Gervon Dexter out of Florida. Number six is Siaki Ika out of Baylor. Five, Brian Bercy out of Clemson. Four, Kalaja Kansi out of Pittsburgh. Three, Keanu Benton out of Wisconsin. Two, Maisie Smith out of Michigan. And one, Jalen Carter out of Georgia. Those are our official top 10 defensive linemen in this year's NFL draft. And we are well out of time. So no more from me today, besides the fact that I need to remind you Every single day this week, we've got episodes coming out. We've got tomorrow on Tuesday morning, the top 10 edge rushers in this class will be coming out. JT and I are going to record that on Monday. Excited for that one already. My preliminary research tells me this group's even better than the defensive tackles. And I'm pretty sure that that is going to be JT's evaluation as well. This is one of, I'd say one of the top three most stacked groups. Like it is cornerbacks maybe top two, like it's cornerbacks edges. Can you think of a team or group more stacked than cornerback or yeah, I, I, I think it's edge. It's either edge or tight end. Um, maybe tight end would give them a run for their money. Yeah, it, it's those three are the, are the top three. So this is the first like true blue chip group of guys that I'm really excited to dive into. We've also got cornerbacks later this week. Hey, my mock draft 2.0 is an episode we'll be doing this week, either on Thursday or Friday. The article for that is going to come out. If you are looking for the article on the last one, we had some site issues where the, unfortunately the article got corrupted. Um, I tried for days to post it. It didn't no harm, no foul. It's a, it's a mock draft article. Um, I didn't want to rewrite it because I'm going to write a mock draft 2.0. So this is me rewriting it as a 2.0. I'm going to change a lot of things. So check out that and the article. Now that we can post articles on the site again, and we fixed the tech that was causing that issue that will be out later this week. The Minecraft 2.0 episode will be out later this week. I've got a lot of fun and tasty changes involving maybe a Jack Campbell in the first round. I don't know. We'll see. It could really excite some folks potentially who produce this show. Um, a lot of exciting things coming down the turnpike. We've got a couple of guests. Um, we'll be doing the offensive lineman later this week, JT. If you're a Titans fan, that should be appointment listening. This is the first of the offensive guys that we're going to be getting into. And our two guests are hand-picked offensive line experts, in my opinion, in JT's opinion, in the opinion of the, the Nashville media community. If you're a Titans fan, you're going to recognize these guys, and they are studs when it comes to talking about the big boys, big meaty men slapping meat on the interior, uh, if that's a, a clue as to who one of these guests might be. Excited about those conversations, and we'll be getting into those as the tackles and the interior offensive linemen as two separate episodes, so make sure to check out those this week, and uh, we have to i think go ahead and start jt just mentioning offhand if you're already making plans for draft night you quit making them you've got plans i'm about to tell you what they are you're gonna be watching our live stream which we'll be doing the details of which will be coming out officially in the next week or two as we're still ironing out who's gonna be there what it's gonna look like the timing all of these things we're leveraging some some guests to potentially join us for the full thing some others to potentially phone in and join us for parts of the draft we're for sure going to be doing a live stream during the entire first and second days of the draft. So night one, when the first round comes off the board and the night two for round three, uh, two and three will be live for the entirety of those drafts. So tune in with us then. And uh, we may even do day three if it's just that exciting and that popular. So make sure to tune in with us for those. That's it for today. We'll see you again every day this week. Excited to talk about more prospects in this draft and just so excited for us to be at the finish line here, super jacked to sprint all the way to the draft on April 27th. For producer JT, I'm your host, Easton Freeze. This has been the Hot Read Podcast. We'll talk to you Tuesday morning. Until then, have a great Monday.